It's September 14th, and the Indians are streaking. It's been the same result so many days in a row. No, I'm not talking about their six-game losing streak. I'm talking about three years ago on this date, the Indians won number 22, 22nd consecutive victory in dramatic fashion against the Royals. They had the American League record win streak. Some debated that it was the overall win streak record. Um, and here we are, three years later, and the Indians are building another streak. Will it get to 22? Um, I don't think we'll be able to find out because I don't think the regular season will last that long. I think they only have 13 games left. So will it get to 19? We'll find out. It's the Selby is Godcast. I'm Zach Meisel. He's TJ Zuppi. TJ, which streak has been more entertaining? The 22-game win streak or the current six-game losing streak? I have to say, I feel really good about the fact that the last two podcasts, we, we, we talked a lot of positivity. Even following the Clevenger trade, I think we erred more on the side of the positive portion of that trade, despite both of us indicating that it was going to be tough to say that the Indians won that trade in 2020. Yeah, that trade sucks. I feel so good that we spent that much time talking about the positives and, and building up the MVP case of Shane Bieber, although the Indians stole the hashtag MVBeebs. I feel really good about that because now I can come on here and shit on the performance that they've had over the last week. <laughs> they absolutely deserve it. Uh, and we, we do, a, I, I, I pride ourselves on the fact that we don't get too caught up in the highs and lows of anything. And I think we try to look on both sides here to get a, an accurate depiction on what actually is taking place. But I don't feel bad at all about looking about looking to all the negatives you know that have taken annoying, place over the last week. Do you know what an annoying team does? An annoying team does one thing really well and one thing really terribly. And the instant that that thing they do really well slips a little bit, the thing they do terribly finally like looks adequate. But not, not good enough to overcome the slip in the thing that they do really well. Uh, but just enough to say, hey, like we scored four runs and then five runs. What do you want from us? We scored six runs against the Royals the other night. Where was the pitching, huh? And the pitchers are standing there like, really? Really? Come on. Um, it, it's, <laughs> I can't imagine being... You know, someone who has, like, been working from home, maybe, and so it's easier to stay up and watch every inning of every game. If And I'm, I can't imagine being a diehard fan who has had the time on their plate this year because of the circumstances to watch every moment of every Indians game this season and to have been fully invested and, and excited when they were in first place a week or so ago. And, and thinking about, oh man, the pitching could lead this team in October. They just need some timely hitting. And you, you figure Lindor and Ramirez and Santana will catch fire eventually. And to watch the way they've played the last week, where they've essentially played themselves into the number eight seed in the American League, which, whatever. Like that, there has never been a year where postseason seeding is less important. But to watch the way they played, and now to think, like, if you had to make an argument for how this team can make a run in October, I, like, what is that argument? I don't even know right now. To put this in terms that I think you'll appreciate and understand more so than any movie quote, 
Because I know I've I've learned from that. It's just not going to work. I saw a movie over the weekend, by the way. Incredible the job. Have you ever heard of it? Wow, only like twenty years late. Wait, or are you watching the remake <laughs> or the original? I'm assuming it's the one with uh, Marky, Marky Mark and Mark. the Funky Bunch. Yeah, that was the remake from like 2003. So yeah, good job by you. It was really not bad. You should check it out. On uh, Charlize Theron in her prime, yeah. right? Right when yes. she was. Uh, a box office draw, not so much anymore. Anyway, you're trying to distract me from the point I'm trying to make, which is, you know the cliffhanger game on The Price is Right. It's one of your favorites, right? I'm sure. With, with the yodeling guy, yeah. Yeah, the, well, if... So that is the easiest game to win, by the way. Quick aside, because I'm the Price is Right expert and I watch it every single day. Um, the first prize is always right around 20 bucks, usually in that 20 to 25 range. Second prize, always right around 30 bucks. Third prize, always right around 40 bucks. You should never lose that game. And uh, like it's, it's mind-boggling when people see like a popcorn maker and they say, oh, $87, and it's like 25 And then the yodely guy falls off the cliff right away. And it's like, what are you doing? Come on. If you watch it enough, you'll figure it out. Well, the Indians are having problems with that because that's been like watching their run differential for the season. It was like, and then it's just off the cliff. That's like what is the, the, the past week has been like watching because you can follow that at, at Baseball Savant. They have a little graph and you can see over the course of the season, guy, you know, the little, the little guys that represent the teams that go up and down and up and down and the teams that are really good separate themselves and the Los Angeles Dodgers stretch the graph way up higher than anybody else. But there's the Indians and they're climbing. And at this point last week, we were talking about them being, I think, second best run diff team in the American League. And then... Right off the edge of the cliff. That's that's what it's been like watching. It has been beyond frustrating watching this team over the Show past Show me week. another podcast that has yodeling, by the way. Mm, I mean, I threw it out there yesterday, and people overwhelmingly were in favor of one long fart noise to, <laughs> to recap the week instead of actual thoughtful analysis. So yodeling, fart noise, whatever, I mean, whatever, whatever we got to do to... To try to entertain because this week has not been entertaining. And like I said to start this podcast, you know, they're deserving of all the criticism right now. They are not playing well. They are not instilling a lot of confidence that uh, that a long postseason run is in front of them. Not that any of that really matters. Seating doesn't really matter this year. It's just like it's it's even less important than the NBA, which is almost not important at all. Other than the fact that you get home court in an extra game and oh, the role players play better when they're at home. But outside of that, no one gives a crap about seeding in this. None of that matters. The Indians have been much better on the road this season, despite the weekend. Yeah, I mean, they haven't been good at all the last week. So, I mean, there's there's no reason to, to come on here and go, oh, everything is fine. Well, no, it looks like it looks terrible this past week. And I don't have a lot of reasons to, to offer excuses for why they haven't been playing well. I, I am baffled that we still sit here today with the offense being... It, I know, a few games aside, the offense being consistently as bad as it's been. You know, a couple of weeks ago, it was like, okay, well, you see some signs of guys coming out of it. But to have a season where, uh, and I think both of us agree, the top five in the lineup should have been good enough to at least position them to be like a mediocre offensive team at worst. And yet, here we are with the outfield being pretty much like, what Shane Bieber turns other hitters into. I mean, that's the outfield slash line. 
and it, it's not getting any better. The guy that you acquired as part of the mega deal, Josh Naylor, has done nothing um, to make you feel better about that trade in 2020. And we both established that you're not going to be able to evaluate the totality of the trade in 2020. But the problem that it's going to sit with everybody is it doesn't... You, you traded away Mike Clevenger and you did nothing to fix the offense in 2020. Maybe we sit here in 2023 and, and look at this trade and go, holy shit, how do they pull that off? Look at all the impact guys that they have uh, performing big roles for this team. But that's not happening right now. And I'm not saying that, that Naylor is a career bust and you might, might as well release him right now. Fran Mil Reyes was just as terrible when he came over from the Padres last year over a longer period of time. But none of that is helping right now. And so I don't. I don't, I don't blame you for trashing the trade when we first started the podcast. Yeah, and that kind of leads me to my bigger thought here, which is, look, it's, it's one thing to be sitting here two weeks from the first round of the playoffs and thinking, I don't know how this team's going to go over. And I, mean, I think the formula, I, I think I wrote it today, it's like the formula is some combination of pitch better than anyone has ever pitched in history and pray to God for a couple timely hits. Like that's going to have to be there. That's it. Like I, th- I said, like they're basically the, this is fine dog meme sitting in a room full of fire. And there's an arrow pointing to like a sunshine, sunshiny day and like green grass in a field. There's an arrow pointing to that field and it just says, get there somehow. Like that's that there's, Sunshine. We have really seen way to go. We, we have seen no evidence. We've seen no evidence of a formula that that works. Like I, I don't. Other like, than randomness, I, I, I mean, it, that's yeah, that's a part of like, this because the Dodgers could go out and lose two right sure. out of the gate, and then that's it for them. So this, but you can't just be hoping and praying. Enough. You can't be hoping and praying for random variation. Like that's not a. It's not a recipe for success. Didn't work in 2018. And I think, and I think it's incredible, you alluded to it, it's incredible that we're sitting here almost 80% of the way through the season, they have not found one outfielder. And I know Tyler Naquin looked good for a few days, and his numbers compared to everybody else in the outfield look fantastic. Yeah, speaking of over the he cliff, I, t- I pushed him over the cliff by writing about yeah. him. Sorry he about still has that. a 265 on base percentage. He has three walks and 27 strikeouts. Like he's not the answer here. He's not. He can't be your best outfielder. Like they have not found anybody, and, and it's that's incredible. And to get back to my main point, just looking beyond this year, what are you going to do for 2021? You know, who's your outfield? Is it going to be Naylor? Is are you just going to throw Daniel Johnson out there? Because if you are, then why is he not out there now? You know, do you have plans for Nolan Jones to be playing the outfield? Because if you do, why is he not out there now? Um, they have not answered any questions about the outfield for 2020. And not only that, they've made things more difficult for their 2021 outlook. Because at this point, it seems like it's just going to be more of the same mixing and matching, hoping someone clicks. Well, that hasn't worked for the first, what, six weeks of the 2020 season? Yeah. So I'm not sure what you're expecting to work for 2021. And I think that's the bigger failure with what has happened so far this season. Well, I'm not even concerned that that much about looking ahead. And I, I, I know you're not. You're just trying to make a, a generalized point here about the outfield and them still not fixing it. But to have what 
they have received, which is beyond nothing. It's it has been just. I can't even fathom how bad it's been. It's 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 to a point where you couldn't even expect it to be this bad. If you if you wrote it into a script, they would say tear that up and throw it away because I can't expect major leaguers to put up that sort of slash line. They're gonna accidentally find a way to to be better than that, and they're they're just not. Um, and they have run through some young kids. They've run through a lot of veterans, and I know they just keep throwing Delino to Shields out there because he's giving them something but I still would rather see the higher potential of Oscar Mercado more out there both now and in the future. Uh, but I don't know where the answers come from at, the, at this point to, to try to spark it. In the first couple of weeks, you think, okay, well, you can go to some younger kids. You, you can see what Daniel Johnson has. You, maybe you do get desperate enough that you, you start really digging into some of the prospects that maybe you weren't putting on the, on the map right now, but you are, if, if they haven't done that already, it's not going to happen now. <laughs> I don't expect them to call up Daniel Johnson. And, and to be fair, it shouldn't fall all on him. And I don't think he's good enough that you would just say, save the outfield. Maybe he's closer to average than, than what you've gotten. I would appreciate getting a chance to see it. But if they haven't gone to that now, I think you're pretty much just banking on the guys that you have performing. But on top of all of that, you're not getting a Jose Ramirez type season and you're not getting a typical, I mean, I know Lindor has been better and they tried to facilitate some more runs by putting him into the leadoff spot. Maybe that turns into something, but you still haven't gotten a typical Lindor superstar MVP type season from him. Fronel Reyes has been pretty good, but he's, he's, He's going to be a hitter that goes through stretches where he's he's going to have a couple of weeks where it's not he's not going to give you much and then he'll have a a ferocious couple of weeks where it really pads the stats. But you you don't have Carlos Santana performing even like you would expect him to. Forget what he did last year. Outside of the walks, it's it's not been a lot. And now Cesar Hernandez has come back to closer to reality for him, which you would expect, which is probably a ninety. WRC plus 85 WRC plus somewhere in there guy that's going to get on base, but not give you a ton of power. So it's like, I, I don't know where you get like a superstar taking over for a couple of weeks in the postseason and transforming this offense into something that's going to be truly enough to back the pitching and, and to be sitting here today with, with the season almost gone. And I know it's shortened and in a typical year, you'd have more time to let guys grow into their roles and maybe have more patience, but I can't believe we're sitting here today with the offense being as bad as it has, and they have not come up with any answers anywhere. It's mind blowing. Yeah, you alluded to it with when you're talking about Daniel Johnson and, and being the savior. You know, Sandy Elmar said something interesting the other day when he, he made this metaphor, and he was talking about Terry Francona, but he said he compared the team to a car driving along the highway and needing gas. And you're just waiting for that gas station to pop up. You're in the middle of nowhere. And he told Terry Francona, he said, Tito, you're the gas station. Like, we need you back. Like, you know, we're hoping you just pop up and and get back into the dugout. And I was thinking, I'm like, that's close, but that's not it. (laughs) Like, that is how the team has approached this whole season. Like, they are just waiting for some savior to come rescue the lineup. They've used... 25 different outfield combinations 
in 47 games. Like, that is absolutely insane. Nine different people have played left field, have started in left field. Um, you know, you, you think you reach maybe like point eighteen or 19 and you're like, you know, maybe we just don't have the right guys, period. Maybe none of these combinations are the right combination. I mean, the, the list of different outfield combinations is like the Browns quarterback jersey. It's, it's insane. And, and, you know, I, I think everybody in that lineup has just hoped like that Lindor Ramirez would get hot and carry everybody and it would take pressure off. But that's not what has happened. You know, Lindor has definitely hit better of late, still making mistakes on the base paths. He's still dreadful with runners in scoring position, which has been a theme for two years now. Um, but he hasn't had the type of, you know, we're st- I really thought he was going to have an MVP type season um, where he just gets scorching hot for a month or so, and that would be enough to carry the offense. We've seen Jose Ramirez do it in bits. He's been fine, 876 OPS. You can't complain about him at all. You know, but like Carlos Santana has done nothing. He leads the league in walks, and that's great because if he didn't, that slash line would be pitiful. Um, but like you can't you can't rely on a slightly below his norm Lindor and a slightly above or maybe at his norm Jose Ramirez, and that's it. I mean, well, Framil Reyes too has been solid, but like it's there's nobody else even close to those levels. I mean, it's just so far below league average. The catching position has been atrocious. Last in slugging by a mile, second to last in batting average. We've talked about the outfield. They rank 29th in every category only because the Pirates are so pitiful. Um, it's it's bad. And and it's, you know, when we talked about the offense and we said, you know, the top five should be really good. And the bottom four you have questions about. Well, we didn't expect having questions about to be literally worst in baseball and, and by a mile. And then the top five, I think, are, are at the low end of what our expectations were. So, you know, you add all that up and obviously you get, you know, I think they're 27th in the league in runs per game. And then you're, you're asking the pitching staff to be perfect. So that's not going to happen. You know, Aaron Savali's 25, Zach Plesak's 25, Tristan McKenzie's 23. The three of them have 51 starts combined in the majors. You know, that's, they have very little service time. Um, so they're going to have growing pains. You can't expect those guys to be perfect. Um, to pair with Bieber, who has been close to perfect. I mean, it's just this is not a formula for winning a World Series. It's not a formula for winning the division. And, you know, it makes you question how... Again, I keep coming back to, okay, well, if 2020 isn't it, you know, because clearly they just... They have not figured out... I don't think they're going to figure out what to do with the bottom four in that lineup. At least have some plan for 2021. I don't see it. You know, is, is Jake Bowers coming back? Is he alive? Like, what... What are, you, what are you doing with all these these pieces that you haven't... They either haven't proven themselves or you haven't given them adequate time to prove themselves. I, I The more I think about it, the more I wonder if 2021 is going to be a retooling year. Well, for them, it's a constant retooling thing. But you mentioned the base running, which has just, it's been really accented in the last couple of weeks with the number of guys picked off and just bad base running decisions. Lindor... Uh, what was it, a week ago where he just whiffed on second base when he went back to third and turned around and pirouetted 
pirouetted? Would that be the right use of that? Yeah. And they've made the second most outs in baseball on the bases. My, 21. So my far. point is you have, you have a lineup now that has Cesar Hernandez. You're playing a lot of Delano to Shields. And like you said, you're getting um, nothing from the catcher position. But those are three positions right now because Perez is not hitting for power like he was last year and has not even been in there for lengthy portions of the year. You have three positions in the lineup where you can not expect those guys to really ever go deep. I mean, Cesar Hernandez went double digits the last couple of years, but still 15 and 14 in a juiced ball era is not anything to truly be impressed by. Um, And that's not his game. That's not to say that he should be going up there trying to hit home runs. But you have three spots in your lineup that don't hit for a lot of power. And so even when... Even when Cesar Hernandez has a good week at the plate, or even Delano to Shields, let's say he, he has a lot of singles. Well, okay, but that's not truly going to... I mean, it's better than the nothing, which we've seen a lot of, but those aren't spots in the lineup that are going to carry you. The, those aren't going to be, unless they just are well-timed base hits, are not going to be the sort of base hits that that you know charge up the run total. And so you've got to be good on the bases. And to write... To this point, they're not good on the bases either. They're, they're not creating value there. Um, below middle of the pack, I mean, slightly, ever so slightly above average. I mean, it basically has been average in, in base running runs. So you have three spots in your lineup that don't generate a ton of power right now, and you're not getting it done on the bases, and your stars are making outs on the bases, like Ramirez, like Lind- Lindor to himself. I can't even believe some of the outs that they are making. on. You can't afford to ever give, out, give outs away on the bases especially when you can't score runs, period. So it, it's not like a couple of years ago where they could say, oh, well, we're going you know, to go first to third. We're going to steal the extra base. Well, right now they're not doing a lot of those special things on the base pass to make up for the fact that they don't hit for a lot of power. And when they go through stretches where Fraun Mill's not hitting home runs or they're not running into a week of good power from Tyler Naquin and, and Ramirez is, is popping the ball up and you know, probably hurt still, I don't know where the runs are going to come from. And I keep coming back to the fact that probably none of this is going to matter and it's 2020 because in the playoffs, who the fuck knows what's going to happen? <laughs> you know, it's this, we're talking about <laughs> such small sample sizes that they can make us all look silly by just it all timing up perfectly with Lindor Ramirez and Fran Reyes all going nuts and hitting, you know, five home runs in the course of a couple of days. But it's not a formula or a blueprint really that leaves you with a lot of, of reasons for, for optimism. Well, and that's the thing is that over the course of 162 games, you can point to some examples, stretches that show you, hey, you know, this is possible. Like the team could get on this sort of role where player X and player Y are carrying the lineup and they're pitching well and and maybe that'll happen in October. I think that's what, you know, when we saw that in 2016 where, I mean, nobody expected with the injuries they had to the pitching staff to make the run they did, but at least you could point to certain stretches of that season where it was like, you know, they have pieces that can carry. There, there is a formula, and then they proved that the formula was dominant bullpenning and, and timely hitting. Um, there's been no evidence of that this season. You know, they've had a game here and there where they erupt for 10 runs or 12 runs, but that's, it's never... I mean, they, have they had, like, a stretch of two days in a row where they score, like, six or more runs? I mean, we haven't, we haven't seen anything resembling... You know, they've had, like many winning streaks and usually against shitty teams, but like we haven't seen this team play good baseball for an extended period. And 
there's been no evidence that they can have a lineup where they're getting production from multiple different spots. So I, that's, yeah. I, the frustrating thing is, like you said, anything can happen in October. And it's going to be like March Madness where you have a 16-team bracket and like, who knows? Like, shit could get crazy. The Dodgers have to survive a best-of-three series. Like, that's, that's so unfair for them because they seem so much better than everybody else. Um, they could lose in the first round. <laughs> yeah, any, anything could happen. And, and the Indians, like, if they're the eighth seed, they might get matched up with the White Sox. Like, they know that team pretty well. They could beat them in a best-of-three. I mean, anything can happen. Um, but no matter where you are seated, you're going to have to beat three really good American League teams. Mm-hmm. The American League's got some some viable contenders so this isn't going to be easy and and their play over the last week is not inspiring anybody to believe in them well I think the only thing truly that saves the offense is you get one of those stretches where Ramirez Lindor and, and Frommel and and maybe throw Santana in there to just hit some timely home runs so it's not I'm not saying that that's impossible because we've seen them have big power surges it's just when when you're not getting it you're not going to get anything else so don't count on a lot of, of key performances from guys that you're not expecting, we, we haven't seen that. So if they get hot, the right guys get hot. I'm not saying Fran Mill can't hit a, a three-run home run when it counts. And the fact that they are not a great base running team, you got to get power. And they're not generating it from a lot, a lot of the lineup. So um, just waiting for... Ramirez, Lindor, Franmil, Santana, those guys to start hitting some home runs because that's the only way I think they can score. And they're not going to have the Tigers and the Pirates. I can't even include the Royals in that because they lost three straight to the Royals. Uh, but those teams aren't going to be there in October. So it's, yeah, it's going to be... face Matt Harvey every night. Yeah, like you might have to go through the White Sox and then the Rays and then the Twins or Yankees or Athletic. Like that's, that's brutal. And it's I, brutal for everybody. It is. I, I, mean, I don't think anyone wants to get matched up with the Indians in a three-game series when you know Bieber's going to pitch one of those anyway. I'm not advocating for this being the thing that sticks because I think it's unfair to ask a team to go out like the Dodgers and just blow everybody away for 162 games and then get matched up in a three-game series. Like that's it, We're to the point where the regular season wouldn't matter at all. But I am really looking forward to, to this particular postseason with – the eight seeds on both sides, 16 teams making the playoffs. If you enjoy just utter chaos, then you are going to love this. And I, I'm just, every day this changes. Like a few days ago, I saw somebody tweet, well, the White Sox, can you believe it if the season ended today? Well, two days ago, the A's would have been the first seed. Now they're the three. None of that really matters, but I just enjoy looking at the matchups. Right now it would be in the American League, White Sox and Indians, Rays and Yankees, A's and Astros and Twins and Blue Jays. What one of those series aren't you going to be locked in on? Uh, just from a baseball fan perspective. And then over the National League, Dodgers, for what they're doing, they get the Giants who have just, I mean, I know they're a game under 500 now, but can they? do you think they can go win three, two of the three games against the Dodgers? I think that's possible. Braves and Phillies, Cubs and Cardinals and Padres and Marlins. How about Padres and Marlins? As we all projected. Oh, man. Again, I'm not saying that this should stick around. It's different than my opinion on the extra inning rule, which I absolutely love. But there's a, I guess there's just the difference between something that, that should happen because it's just part of the sanctity of the game and something that just makes for compelling television, compelling entertainment. And I think the sport constantly has to walk that line. Even with the, 
this sport being so much about strikeouts and home runs and so little about putting the ball in play, we have this argument about what is better for teams trying to win, and we know it's probably the way teams are trying to win right now, and what is better for just entertainment value. And I don't think those two coincide. Can they coexist? I'm interested to know what the schedule will be like in terms of off days and like how teams will set up their pitching. Um, like, so what would, let me ask you this. What would be, we've talked about this at this very moment. If you're the Indians, you've got a three game series on the road somewhere. Who are your three starting pitchers? Well, the Indians like to overthink this. So they would somehow position <laughs> Bieber being in game three, because then he could, I, I don't know. <laughs> Just pitch him in game three because you might not need him in the first two games. Then he'd be positioned to pitch the first game. Stop. Uh, so Bieber, <laughs> obviously game one. As can, can one, I mean, I guess we're talking about short sample size. Can one start change your mind? Up until his last start, I always said Zach Plesak in game two and then Savali in game three. I am, I have zero hesitation going Bieber and Savali, but to me the question of do you go Plesak or Carrasco and maybe Carrasco on a shorter leash in one of those games? Yeah, do you think Carrasco could help you, though, more out of the bullpen? Well, my thought is... say Savali would? My thought is Carrasco, Carrasco could start the game, but you could still have him on the short leash, still only have him throw three or four innings, and then the minute it looks like he might get in trouble, then you're instantly going to the bullpen. So does it matter whether or not he's pitching the first four or the sixth and seventh for to you? No, but I'd also want to know what shape <clears throat> my bullpen is in. Uh, that's that's part of this too. I mean, it, if you have to play three straight days, yeah, you could throw all your relievers three straight days, but you might want to use Karen check one day for 30 pitches. and then Maybe you want to go away from him for a day, and so maybe <clears throat> you'd prefer to have Carrasco in the bullpen or something. I, I, don't, I don't know. Like, I, I almost think it would be Bieber day one, and then we'll see. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, that's the way postseasons probably should be played. Uh, but all, I, considering everything, I, I would still want to go Bieber one, please act two, Savali three. Yeah. I I don't I think I would need to see what happens in the last well, two weeks. We need to see what happens. No 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 no. The the playoffs is playoffs is starting right now. Make your decision. At this very moment, I'd probably bump. Well, I'd probably bump Savali. Probably go Carrasco, Plesac, two three in some order. Okay. Um, okay. But but the, my issue with doing that is I I don't see Savali as like a great bullpen option because I don't know that the velocity is really going to play up and that he's. Yeah, I, I mean, is he, is he coming in to get a big out, or is that a guy that you would rather start the game with and then see what happens? Yeah. You're Probably right. That. Uh, it's, that, to me, seems more like a... You can get some early length out of him and then see where you match up best. Boy, this question was so much easier two weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, but then who was going to play left field? <laughs> Jake Bowers. <laughs> More important than my and your opinion on this, what do the Indians do? With left field? No, with their pitching. 
Like, what do I think they will actually do? Yeah, what do, I, what do you think they will actually... What's, what's the actual prediction compared to what you would do in this situation? I don't know. And there's one name we haven't mentioned at all, and that's Tristan McKenzie. You know, do you stick him in the bullpen? Do you hope that yeah. that fastball plays up more toward the 95-96 range? And you just need him to have it for an inning or two? Would he be can his arm pair with Savali? Can his body handle a change in routine? Yeah, I after mean, having not pitched for two years. True, but I mean, if you know a guy is only going to go X amount, maybe maybe that's where you're thinking about Carrasco, and you almost go with the piggyback, where you know you can tell him you're going to pitch now. You can set it up where be prepared to pitch here, so you can kind of get his arm on his schedule despite not actually being on his schedule. Yeah. I think if the playoffs started today, I think the Indians would go Bieber, Carrasco, Plesak. Yeah, Carrasco's the one I can't decide just because he has so much more of a track record. If, and so much is going to come down to how they finish the season. But do you go with a guy that has the stronger track record? If all things are equal. Yeah, and maybe they believe that Carrasco's pitched in big games before. He could handle the pressure of an empty stadium. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) And I think a little bit of the the added fuel to the fire of Carrasco pitching in a playoff game probably helps him a bit. You think just the intensity of, of it being a playoff game? I mean, we saw him pitch... Uh, against the Astros a couple of years ago, and he was fantastic in that game. Well, in the Yankees. He was phenomenal in Game yeah. 3 at Yankee Stadium. That's right. I, yeah, so maybe? If I had to put money on it, I think they would go with Carrasco in one of those games. But, I, I, but I'm, not, I'm not sold on Plesak. I don't know if, if they... I don't know if they think that they could trust him in a playoff game yet. And as it stands right now, they'd be in Chicago, um, where they couldn't trust him last time, but for different reasons. And and maybe that alters plans too. You could look at a pitcher's repertoire, see what you know. If we're talking about the White Sox, how do the White Sox handle a changeup? And we know Plesac's going to want to go to that. You know, how do they fare against uh, pitches of a particular variety? Not just looking at. What has Plesak and Carrasco done against the White Sox? No, we're, we could look at, you know, what do the White Sox do against pitches, pitchers similar to what the Indians do? And maybe they make decisions based on if they're playing the Rays or the White Sox or the Twins or whoever it would be. But we all, we all know it would be Bieber in game one. So, I know one pitcher I would not want on the mound in this situation. He is a random Indian of the day if you're ready. I am ready. I've never heard of this guy. (laughs) (laughs) Good night, everybody. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher, Spotify. Uh, He pitched for the Indians in 2001 and 2002. A 524 ERA. It was his only major league experience. 13 outings, one start, 22 innings. 18 walks, that's not, not what you want. But 19 strikeouts, not bad. 
Um, that is a 1.06 strikeout to walk ratio. Any guesses? Uh, you're going to be surprised, but I don't. I have no guesses. He was a Mariners draftee in 1994. Signed with the Indians in 2000. Um, no, I, spent some time no. in the minors with the Indians in 2000 and 2001 and 2002. Where he was pretty good in a relief role. Some really good minor league numbers. Just never clicked. Never got a extended opportunity. Uh, yeah, I still have no guesses. Shockingly. Well, this will give it away. But uh, he grew up in St. Pete. Oh. Of course, you must be talking about yeah, no, I got zero ideas. Did you say whether, was he righty, lefty? He was a righty. <laughs> Even, at least the lefty, I could maybe narrow it down. <laughs> Right-hander? He was born on May 18th. Ah, love the May birthdays. He went by his middle name. Uh, Cornelius? He debuted against the Yankees. May 26, 2001, went two and a third innings of relief. He relieved CC Sabathia, who got knocked out pretty... How about that matchup? A little CC Roger Clemens uh, Saturday matinee at Jacobs Field. But CC wow. got knocked out in the fifth. This guy came in and <laughs> gave up four runs... Four hits, four walks in two and a third innings. <sighs> Jeez. Uh, I, I got nothing. I surrender. The Indians lineup that day, this is going to make you so mad. <laughs> Kenny Lofton must have been getting a day off or something. So, oh, well, Jacob Cruz can play center, and let's just slot him into the leadoff spot because I don't want to have to rearrange my lineup. Yeah, when, when has that ever happened? Like so you're, Freeman hitting second. <laughs> your top two <laughs> in a lineup that included Roberto Alomar, Juan Gonzalez, Jim Tomey, Ellis Burks, and Marty Cordova was hitting 354 with an OPS of nearly 1,000. All those guys in your lineup, but your top two are Jacob Cruz and Omar Vizquel. Well, no, none of those guys had ever let off before, so we can't shake things up. We'll, we'll ruin their mindset. We got to keep Marty Cordova in his 971 OPS hitting seventh. He only gets <laughs> I, on base at a 388. I clip. checked the splits, and he always hits well in this lineup spot. Oh, and that's your top two also against Roger Clemens. So. Oh, well, was that the year Roger Clemens went like 20 and 1? It. 20 and 3. Well, as long as you're not going to tell me it's someone like Roy Smith. It is Roy Smith. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I had to look that one up, but yeah, I had no idea. I almost blurted it out, so I would. Uh... <laughs> Who is yeah, Roy Smith. Smith? His real name, Walter Roy Smith. Uh, um, I don't know anything about him other than what I told you. 
But, like, I could see how he would have been intriguing. It's weird. He was terrible with the Mariners as a starter in the minors. And then, I don't know if he had elbow surgery or something, but he missed a couple years, then randomly signed with the Indians, and was fantastic as a minor league reliever, but just didn't work at the major league level. Well, here, uh, Wikipedia will help us out. Roy, Walter Roy Smith is an American former Major League Baseball player, a pitcher. Smith appeared for the Cleveland Indians in 2001 and 2002. Period. The end. <laughs> That's it. Oh, and uh, includes a link to a different baseball player who was also named Roy Smith who played in the 70s. <laughs> so he, he ended up signing with Oakland... And then actually signed back with the Indians in spring training of 04, but they released him at the start of the season, went with signing to the Dodgers, and that was it. I think he played in the independent leagues for a minute, but... Well, there you have it. Walter Roy Smith, 44 years old. I'd love to know what he's doing now. Yeah, well, Wikipedia is not going to help us out in that regard. If you're listening, Roy, reach out. Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher, Spotify is where you get all your Roy Smith information. And you can find us over at Anchor. He was 6'6". What was that extension on the pitches? It's a little Tristan McKenzie action. He did have a Except he was 235 pounds, so twice as heavy as McKenzie. Twice? Jim, you're 6'10", you weigh 90 pounds. Gumby is a better body than you. Boom. Until next time, we are out of here. Have a good week, everybody. See you.